it sucked. But now it's like, if it had taken off, I think that would have been bad for me because I don't really like the self-help industry. That is best-selling author James Fell. For over a decade, he built a career as a fitness and self-help writer before realizing that wasn't his true passion. That was the life-changing epiphany. Like in the holy shit moment, the thing I talked about was the sense of rightness coupled with overwhelming motivation to see it through. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, during the pandemic, that's exactly what happened. On a bike ride, James had a sweary historical epiphany that changed everything. Everybody was loving it. Well, not everybody. It was actually a lot of people that hated it because, you know, I'm a very liberal guy. <laughs> Soon, he was posting daily history facts that went viral. They were riddled with profanity and his signature wit. And he eventually turned those posts into a massively popular Substack newsletter and lucrative book deals. By the end of this episode, you'll understand exactly how James's writing career was kickstarted by ADHD hyperfocus, anxiety struggles, and of course, shameless self-promotion. James is hilarious. You are not going to want to miss this interview. Stick around and find out how he went from writing about an holy shit moment to having one that completely changed his life. But first, this is the FitMass where together we learn to develop habits that help us live beyond our mental health struggles to create happier, healthier lives. He's Zach. He lives in the future with his anxiety. He's Jeremy, and he lives in the past with his depression. And we get together once a week in the present to share the obstacles we face and how we overcome them. Hey, welcome to the show. Zach is off again today, but I'm looking forward to sharing this interview with you today because I think you'll find it as hilarious as it is helpful. James Fell is one of my favorite writers. We spoke with him a couple of years ago when his then new book, The Holy Shit Moment, was released. Shortly after that, he had his own holy shit moment that made him completely change course professionally, and he learned things about his own mental health that were barriers to his success. Since then, he's gotten those issues under control and written a new book, which combines history with profanity, making education fun. It's called On This Day in History, Shit Went Down. We'll talk about that and the holy shit moment that led to some major life changes for him right after this. Do you finally want to get the results you've been dreaming of? My personal trainer is giving you the chance to learn how to create an empowering environment that sets you up for success. In just five days, you'll discover why your current environment may be sabotaging your success, how to build a network of supporters who motivate you to bring your A-game, tools to design a lifestyle where you and your peers thrive, and his proven framework to make any goal a reality. Sign up now and you'll get the full five-day challenge program to build the right greenhouse for growth, if you will. Plus, you'll automatically be entered to win six months of personal coaching with my trainer, Joe Villegas. That's a total of $6,000 that you're getting for free. Don't let your surroundings dictate your destiny any longer. Take advantage of this limited time offer from Joe Villegas and finally make progress on your biggest goals. Let him help you create the empowering environment you need so you can achieve the breakthrough you've been waiting for. So sign up for Joe's five-day Change Your Life Challenge. You can do that at resultswithjoe.com, or you can hit the link in our show notes at thefitmess.com. All right, James, you and I spoke a few years ago. You were promoting your book, uh, The Holy Shit Moment, all about those epiphanies we have in life where you know, it's, we're on to the next great thing. And that seemed like it was going to be the next great thing, but it didn't quite turn out that way for you. It did not. <laughs> it, uh, um, you know, I kind of realized that uh, with self-help books that, you know, having, having an MBA, one of the things they teach in business is to, to under promise and over deliver. 
And I realized after the fact with self-help that it's kind of the opposite. <laughs> they, they want the, the most uh, best-selling self-help books, generally speaking, the popular type ones are the ones that overpromise that, you know, you'll be rich and thin and successful and, and a sex machine and happy and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so that's the overpromise. And the other deliver is basically just raw, raw, you can do it ad nauseum. There's not actually a real plan. And, and my book was, was not in line with that. It was very science-based. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was very measured in the type of, uh, of proclamations I made about what you could accomplish. And, and the program was, that I developed was arduous, like you had to work. Nobody wants that. Yeah, nobody wants that shit. And uh, can, can I swear? Please, well, you, said yes. the, you said the name of the book, The Holy Shit Moment, yeah. so I guess that's all right. Um, yeah, so the uh, the thing was, I, I realized too late that a lot of people that, you know, they don't buy one self-help book. They buy like 20 of them. Yeah. And the reason why is that they don't necessarily want to change. They want to feel good while they're reading the book. They want to make, they want to believe that everything's going to be okay and yeah. it's not going to take that much work. And, uh, and my book wasn't like that. It was not a feel-good book. And, uh, and so I, uh, I switched away from giving people advice yeah. <laughs> and, and <laughs> because people didn't want my advice. Uh, and I changed over to uh, just telling stories. Yeah. Well, which is and funny. that worked out better. As it turns out, that is something people want. They do want stories. But you, you speak to one of the biggest frustrations I have in, in self-help is everyone forgets the self part. They, you know, they, they'll spend 10 grand on some coaching program because they, it is promising the sun and the moon. But nobody ever bothers mm-hmm. to tell them that, yeah, you still have to do all of the stuff that the coaching program tells you. It's, it's a mm-hmm. brutal field where you uh, many in the field that are successful rely on their celebrity. And that's yep. kind of where it ends. Like people think, oh, this person's successful. I'll read their book and then I'll magically be them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's and change is incredibly hard. Like I, I studied it so much, um, you know, read all the, the actual legitimate science behind cognitive behavior change. And, uh, you know, dedicated a big chunk of my career to it and, and knew a lot of the tips and tricks and things like that. And still, like, just being so heavily involved in it, I still really struggle. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a hard thing yeah. to do. And, uh, and, I, and so I understand why you know, uh, it's, there's a, a new book out. Uh, I can't remember his first name is uh, Sapolsky's the last the last name of the author about how we are. There's no such thing as free will, and which I don't believe. I I think that's crap. Yeah. But uh, but I I do think that that overcoming you know the the wide variety of life experiences uh, that we have does make it very difficult for people to change, you know, inertia sets in and, uh, and to, to really become a different person is, is not an easy thing to do for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, you did, you made a big change. You were forced by, I, I, you know, based on the stories and everything I've read about this, that based on the lack of success of that book, you were forced to make a big change in, in the way you were, uh, in what you were offering the world. So talk us through that process. What, what did you go through mentally when you sort of realized, ah, this ain't working? 
Oh God, I was in a state of despair. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. And, and you know, what's funny is at the time it felt like the world had come to an end career wise anyway. Um, you know, my home life was great. Uh, still is, you know, married to a wonderful woman, uh, a family physician and, and the, uh, the advice that I give to every aspiring author is to marry a doctor. <laughs> Solid advice, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, at the time, I was really upset that the book had not taken off. I thought that, you know, this was, I'd had one book published five years earlier that was uh, by Random House Canada. We couldn't sell it in the United States. That was a weight loss, get in shape book um, that I was proud of. And then this book, The Holy Shit Moment, came out in 2019. That was my my North American uh book that you know got quite a decent advance for and um and that i was thinking this was going to launch me you know beyond fitness into sort of general sort of science-based self-help guru thing and and now in hindsight i am so happy it didn't sell (laughs) like it was at the time it sucked but but now it's like if it had taken off I think that would have been bad for me because I don't really like the self-help industry. And it wasn't like I was writing what I thought, you know, the market wanted and what publishers wanted and not writing what I really wanted to do. Like what I was more a storyteller than a, than an advice giver. And, and if I was still writing those books now, because like say the book had become a bestseller and I was, you know, on my third or fourth self-help book, I'm not sure I would really enjoy doing that right now. Yeah. But yeah, so walking you through the how I I got to become the sweary historian <laughs> was um, the the book had been out for a year and it was obviously not going anywhere. And my agent, you know, basically said, "I can't sell you. You know, you're only as good as your last book, right?" And uh, and you know, we, we were going to talk about possible ideas for another book, but I wasn't excited about any of them. Like, I just didn't, I didn't want to write another self-help book. And, but I needed money because I'd gotten my last installment for the book. And there was the, the freelancing articles had kind of dried up because I'd taken a risk moving from fitness into, into general self-help. And, uh, and so that was, uh, there was no money. Yeah. coming in at all. And I thought, okay, I had, I'd been doing public speaking along the way just to bolster the the writing thing. And I thought, fine, there's, I know that there's good money in public speaking. And I know that I've got the sales skills, the hustle to make it happen. And uh, I had a book, a motivational book that I, I could become, you know, if, after a couple of years of hard work, really building it up, I figured I could make quite a good living as a public speaker. And, you know, then I could try and find a way to, to reinvent my writing career and, and, or, or find a new way to, to breathe new life into it. But money was the priority. And, uh, but then, you know, just as I was starting to book these speaking gigs, fucking COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome timing. Awesome timing. (laughs) Yeah. How, how the hell do you start a speaking career and just at the beginning of a worldwide pandemic? And the answer is you don't. And, and so that was when the despair really hit because it's like, what am I going to do? I've, I've been out of the, the general workforce. You know, I was a marketroid. I have an MBA. I'd worked in marketing. I'd had a real job for a dozen years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and plus, you know, married to a physician, she was saying, 
uh, right at the beginning that this COVID thing is bad. It's going to last for a long time. And, uh, and, you know, politically, it looked like the world was going to shit. I referred to 2020 as that entire year as just a fucktacular shitnado of ass was the way I described it. <laughs> Spot on. That's, that's and a, yeah. So, yeah, what happened was, you know, I wrote a book about life-changing epiphanies, and I, I kind of got good at recognizing them. Yeah. Um, the first one was more of an idea than an epiphany. Literally, the only asset that I had in my career at that moment was uh, – a Facebook page with 80,000 followers. And and I got this idea on April 17th, 2020, uh, while I was out for a bike ride, which is where most of my good ideas come, that I could I could do a, a profanity-filled history post that was in an on-this-day format. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't like a big lightning bulb. It was just an idea. Like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. People that follow my page like the way I write more than what I was really writing about. Yeah. And I'd, I'd been branching out into sort of different areas, social justice stuff I'd been writing about. And and um, so I, I looked something up for April 18th, which was when Martin Luther, um, after he'd you know, done his, his 95 uh, theses thing, was called before the, uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, I think, uh, at the Diet of Worms, uh, where basically Martin Luther said, you know, get fucked. I'm not backing down on this Protestant <laughs> Reformation thing. Is that a direct and, quote? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> it's totally what he said. And, uh, and, and the Holy Roman Emperor was like, no, fuck you. I'm declaring you an outlaw. And if anyone wants to kill this guy, they can. And and so that was, I posted that and it did okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it got, it was, it was not super popular, but it, it did all right. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought literally I have nothing going on right now. <laughs> like there's, <laughs> there's nothing career wise in my life. So I will do another for the next day. And, and so I wrote another one for April 19th, which was about Mae West, uh, famous, you know, early film starlet, that it was actually before she became a film star, I think it was 1927, um, she was arrested uh, and sent to jail for her first ever Broadway play, which was titled Sex. Mm. And she didn't just star in it. She wrote, produced, and directed it. And so she was sent to jail for 10 days for corrupting the morals of youth was, was what she was sent to jail for. And I wrote a lot about, you know, Puritanism, like the Puritan invasion in the 16th century and how it molded American, you know, uptightness about sex and how that influence was what ended up getting her thrown in jail. And they said, well, you can just pay a fine, May. And she was like, nope, fuck you, throw me in jail. <laughs> like just, right. she wanted to make a statement right. about it. And then after she got out of jail, her next play was about homosexuality in 1927. So she was a real, uh, you know, the, a delicious rogue that was just not putting up with any of this bullshit. And that post really blew up. Okay. And there were people in the comments saying, you should do an entire year's worth of these and you should turn it into a book. And I was like, you're goddamn right. I <laughs> it's amazing so how, was, how when the customer tells you specifically what they want to buy, how easy it is to come up yeah, with a product to sell them. Exactly. You know, it was, it was funny. Like it, and that was the life-changing epiphany. Like in the holy shit moment, the thing I talked about was the sense of rightness coupled with overwhelming motivation to see it through. Mm-hmm. That you don't necessarily... Uh, like the these life-changing epiphanies are usually sort of broad and fuzzy. 
Um, and then the details come later because you're you're motivated to make it happen. But in that instant, that was I'm, I read like three comments saying, "Do a full year, turn it into a book." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Fuck yes!" And even though I knew it was a huge commitment that, and I didn't know necessarily if it was going to make any money. But in that moment, I said, yes, this is happening. And within a month, there was like a million views. And so after a month, I was like, I'm going to do two years. (laughs) So so I did two years worth. And so that's, that's how it all began. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, so then, and now here we are. In the middle of that, uh, you were diagnosed with ADHD, which is fascinating to me also I, I have i have never been diagnosed but more than a handful of people have said that people that work with people with adhd or have it themselves say i can't diagnose you but i know my people so <laughs> we do i was i you know what i, I could see it <laughs> yeah I was, I was gonna ask yeah. <laughs> so i'm i'm just curious you know uh, my limited knowledge of what what it means to have that diagnosis i have had these epiphanies i've had i had one a couple of nights ago i'm in the middle of a, a mini crisis myself and it was this like idea, like, that's the thing I'm going to do. This is going to be amazing. But I've gotten really good at recognizing that I get really excited about that stuff. And like two days later, the reality of it kicks in. And I'm like, oh, God, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't think I'm going to do that. So I don't yeah. know if that, it, it sounds like the, the immediate feedback of an audience clamoring for what you were doing maybe helped fuel the fire. But had that not been there, do you, do you think it would have, the ADHD situation would have changed the course of things for you? Oh, if I hadn't gotten, if, if it had not taken off, I can't imagine seeing it through. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you know, we have ADHD is like a dopamine deficiency yeah. and every single post there was reward. Yeah. You know, some did better than others, but I could see that it was building instantly. And with, I mentioned having 80,000 followers on my Facebook page. It took nine years to build that. Yeah. Uh, within a few years, it was over 300,000. So it was, I was seeing that all of a sudden, my page was getting way more engagement, tons of comments. Everybody was loving it. Well, not everybody. It was actually a lot of people that hated it because, you know, I'm a very liberal guy. Mm-hmm. So I was getting a lot of Trumpansies that were coming and shitting all over it, yeah. um, which was great for interaction. Sure. I really appreciated that. They helped me sell books. Thank <laughs> they you absolutely much. Did. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was there was constant positive feedback every day. And um, although not money yet, it took a bit before I was able to turn it into money. But then, you know, I, um, then I opened a Patreon, which I, um, ended up switching over to Substack. Uh, and that was making a ton of money. The self-published book sold an absolute assload of copies. So yeah, the combination of, uh, reader appreciation and more money that I'd ever made in my life, um, would definitely was, drove me forward. There's, um, I actually gave a talk last November in Romania, um, a TEDx talk, um, about the link between ADHD and creativity. And it was called, um, I, I referred to it as a superpower with kryptonite. Yeah. And so it's a creative superpower. People with ADHD, like our minds are all over the fucking map, right? Mm-hmm. Which means we find things that we can, you know, it is the epitome of the outside the box thinking that, that we come up with weird little ideas that others might not, that we can incorporate into our art. And, and there, there's, you know, scientific research that shows that people with ADHD often are more creative. But one of the neat things about it 
was the thing that led to my diagnosis was the was anxiety mm-hmm. that even though I had successfully reinvented myself and um, was making lots of money, I noticed that my anxiety was through the roof, like it was the worst it had ever been. And I thought, well, maybe it's because of COVID. Maybe it's because of, you know, the shit NATO of, you know, fascism. Uh, and, but then it was, it was two years ago and Trump was out and I ha- I was vaccinated I was making lots of money. Why am I still so stressed out? <laughs> yes, I, I, for, forgive me if I'm wrong. You still live in Canada, right? Yes. I'm, I newly live in Canada. I just moved up here a couple of years ago. And I can tell you the, the difference between living there during that shit and living here. The anxiety charts, I mean, they, I was breaking them down there. It's it's unbelievable what a different way of life it is up here. Yeah. And, well, I was just like most of my readers were American. Yeah, and I've course. always been fascinated with the United States. Um, and you know, we are neighbors. So I was, I was pretty, and I could see the way that it was affecting Canadian politics Mm -hmm. as well. Like there was, it was, it was rubbing off on us. And so I was, um, uh, you know, trying to figure out why am I still Mm -hmm. so anxious? And it was one of the bits of research that really explained it, that in preparing for this talk in Romania, was that it's a it's a little bit complicated to explain but if you take someone with ADHD and someone who doesn't have it and they are engaged in a creative endeavor and then you associate a reward with that creative endeavor the person with ADHD is going to work a hell of a lot harder in order to um, achieve more and more reward and because I was self-published I could see pretty much instantly uh, that every creative thing that I did, like I was shitting gold bricks at this point, um, that I could spend an hour writing this really unique creative advertisement, enticing people to buy my book. Mm-hmm. And I would post that on Facebook. And then I could look and see that that ad just made me like almost a thousand dollars. So that was me going overboard. Like I started to become obsessed and my fitness went to shit because like, how do you go for a run when you could be making money? Um, How do you do housework or, um, you know, I gained the COVID-19 and then some. Um, So I worked out less. I cleaned the house less. I cooked less because I couldn't pull myself away from my computer. I was hyper fixated, not just on the writing but on the marketing, I was really big into because into sell your book, sell your book, sell your book because it's it's money in the bank and it's like you you can just make so much money doing this. And that was uh, you know I was starting to have physical anxiety symptoms, um, thumping, heart, uh, tingling skin, trouble sleeping, um, all that kind of stuff. And uh, and I was like, this is fucked up. (laughs) And there was a a family diagnosis of ADHD and I saw that, okay, well, this is, you know, there's a genetic component and ended up getting diagnosed and, and tried a few different drugs, but Ritalin was the one that, uh, that worked for me. And I take it, um, in the afternoon because it's an eight hour, uh, dose, which is kind of bullshit. It's more like six, (laughs) but, uh, but what it does is it allows me to step away from mm. the obsession uh, where I will get up in the morning because the thing is that um, ADHD drugs can um, 
tamp down your creativity. That you know, you need to have that spider monkey on a meth bender brain <laughs> that that in order to come up with your wildest shit that people want to read. Mm-hmm. So I get up and I was always a morning writer. Like I do my best work where I get up in the morning, grab a cup of coffee, and head down to my office and just can just bang away. Yeah. And uh, then by about noon or so, then it's like, okay, now I have to do other shit, which can be, you know, other work associated things or exercising, housework, grocery shopping, meal planning, preparation, all that kind of stuff. So when I feel like I've shot my creative wad for the day, then I can take the pill and it allows me to step away from it. Okay. And um, the other thing is that now that I have um, uh, a big book deal, the uh, the motivation to, um, well, I don't really have the ability to obsess over book sales anymore because like you get sort of a monthly right. statement. And it's like, I got this massive advance for this book deal and I have to, sell an absolute shit ton of books before the the advance even earns out. Right. So right. like I'm not I'm not at the point of getting more royalties right now. So it, it's like instead of, you know, it, it's it's a lot and, and I, I I'm worried my publisher is gonna see this and say, fuck, he's not working right now. <laughs> I am, I am. Um but the the thing is that that when I would go into sales mode and sell books. It was going into my bank account, you know, mm-hmm. shortly thereafter. Yeah. Whereas now it's it's not necessarily an advance isn't a debt, but it's kind of like I'm chipping away at a debt right. that if I don't chip it all away, I get to keep all the money anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so I'm not does, saying I still want to earn out the advance, yeah. but it's just, I'm not quite as psycho about it anymore. <laughs> so, but, so knowing that about yourself and the anxiety and the ADHD and the way it all plays together, does does it hold you back? Like, is there an opposite side to the experience where you're like, oh, I'm not getting the hit out of it. So is it harder to to stay motivated to keep driving driving those sales and doing interviews like this? No, um, it, it's it's not. I I would say that. Uh, I mean, I, I'm just fully committed to this career now, yeah. and, and it's uh, now I have the 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 potential opportunity like i've always been very financially motivated um you know once i didn't grow up with money uh once i was in my late teens and getting ready to move out my mom started to make a lot of money um she'd become a stockbroker and she started to do very well so i didn't grow up with wealth but then i saw that all of a sudden you know my mom started to make a shit ton of money and i and i was like money's cool. (laughs) And she, when I finished my MBA, she wanted me to go into business with her. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there is not enough Ritalin in the world to get me to do that job. (laughs) Like I was just, you know, it was the, the, you know, trading stocks to me was, was fake. Like it was just, it was numbers on a screen and it was, it was, there was no reality to it for me. And, uh, you know, I was, I almost flunked out of university until I took a history course and realized that's my thing because growing up, I was a shitty student. And the one thing that I really liked, I loved reading fantasy novels and, uh, and I thought, okay, reading history is like, you know, you still got the swords, but not the sorcery, mm-hmm. and you can actually get a degree in this. So that was that was why I ended up sort of obsessing over history, and 
um, now with the whole ADHD, I think kind of forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> but so I talked about being financially motivated that I kind of got into writing because I loved writing. That was a big part of it. But another big part of it was for the money, which is the stupidest thing anyone's ever said. <laughs> because <laughs> becoming a writer for the money is really dumb. Yeah. But because um, almost nobody can do it. But I had a feeling I had delusions of grandeur. I had a, I had a feeling that that I could do it. And if there was any way I was going to make a lot of money, it was going to be creatively because I didn't want a salaried position. Um, you know, I wasn't a, a stockbroker trading kind of guy. Um, but, you know, doing the MBA, it's like the difference between service income and product income. And I knew that if I could create, you know, a service income is like, you know, you write this article, you get paid 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, you write more articles, you get more money, but there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. Um, but I knew that books for me was the secret that, you know, my first two books didn't sell. And, but the thing, and, you know, they worked out, to, I don't know, the first one, I think I averaged it worked out to about maybe a dollar fifty an hour from oh, what I put man. into it. Um, the second one was better. I think it was maybe a, about twelve dollars an hour, thirteen dollars an hour. Um, and I don't even know what this one was, but it was a it was a hell of a lot more than <laughs> a that. Lot more. Nice. <laughs> uh, but that was the idea: is that you create one product, and if it takes off, if it sells like mad, the sky is the limit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I was, uh, the book Sapiens by Yuval Harari, that's one book that has sold over 20 million copies. It probably made the author over $30 million yeah. for one book. Yeah. And so that was the concept was that, that I had this belief that I could, I could create a product that would sell like mad, but it, it had to be on my terms. It had to be something creative. Yeah. And, and so that was why I ended up going down that road and now seeing that, all right. There is demand for James Fell's sweary history stories, <laughs> um, and and the money has been rolling in, but um, but it's not enough. Damn it! Yeah, make, make more, make more. <laughs> yeah, uh, make. I I I I'd like I'd like to have some oceanfront property one day. Yeah, maybe sure. <laughs> why not? <laughs> so that's what's keeping me going now. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I want to ask you about the book, uh, particularly because you know you hear so often that if you want to know what's going to happen in the future, look to the past. You've you've done some digging. You know what's happened in the past, and the world's still a bit of a shit NATO. So, what what hope do you have? What what do you see in the future with everything that's going on around us right now? Oh boy, you know um, that's a tough question, and I'm I kind of stopped predicting the future after Trump won in 2016. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because, um, I, I'm concerned. Uh, you know the uh, the reason being is that when you look at history, it generally is those who are willing to lie, cheat, steal, and kill that end up on top. And, you know, the there's no, there's a famous, well, quote made famous by Dr. Martin Luther King, which is, um, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And unfortunately, I actually don't really think that's true. Mm -hmm. It, uh, it only bends toward justice if we force it to. And the people that are interested in the general well-being of you know, their fellow humans um, have a real fight on their hands against those that are malicious and willing to do anything to win. 
And, you know, the, the more decent, caring folk are not willing to do anything to win because they have strong, a strong moral compass. And, you know, we're seeing that, you know, the, there are people that have to cheat to win, and so they do. And, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of fear that, uh, that things could, could go to shit. I, I, was, I was very happy to see that Trump didn't get another term, but who knows what's going to happen next year and with what's going on in the middle east right now and you know we've seen that that in italy there was a uh, a fascist government was elected and uh you know the invasion of ukraine is still going on that and also you know the uh, there's a lot of money put towards climate change denial and uh i i'm not necessarily so concerned for me as i am for my kids and one day potential potentially grandkids but uh it could go either way. Yeah, uh, yeah. We are a very brilliant, passionate, um, and and resilient species. That uh, that things could work out, or they could not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> flip a coin. Who knows? I I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm hopeful, but uh, but also anxious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To to your point about the the cheaters, that, that was the breaking point for me. That literally the day that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and forty five minutes later, Mitch McConnell said, "Oh yeah, we're going to fill our seat." I went up to my. We were living in the in the states. I went up to my wife and I said, "That's it. Our side won't cheat enough to win. We got to get out of here and move to Canada." And so here we are. We had, we had yeah, I don't. I don't blame you. I mean, and and with the recent um, yet another mass shooting. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'll be out for a bike ride and some guy will, you know, cut me off in his car and I will swear my head off at him. I can do that because the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to get punched in the face. Right. And (laughs) in the U.S., I'd have to train myself to not do that because, you know, you swear at somebody and he's like, fuck you. So it's, uh, I I do, I, you know, I, I like guns i like shooting <laughs> um uh you know growing up i spent a lot of time in northwest bc with my dad who you know is a hunter and um and i'm you know i've used guns a lot and you know they can be fun but i like our gun laws the way they are mm-hmm. and uh, i like the fact that you know there aren't people carrying lethal weapons with them the at all times it's you know the the thought of that just scares the shit yeah, out of it's me. terrifying it's ter- and and you know kids in school and, and all that it's uh, it's awful uh so it says to bring us back to kind of full circle here for for anyone who is maybe still waiting for that aha moment that puts them on the path to fame and fortune from their facebook posts that turn into amazing books <laughs> what what advice do you have for those people that are still kind of trying to figure it out maybe trying to get over a hump right now how how can they get through it and and yeah um so i uh i mean i actually gave a talk at a writer's conference a couple of months ago that i broke it down to sort of three rules of success as a as a creative person anyway uh rule number one was marry a doctor um <laughs> but, which the 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 broader scope of that is to uh to you still got to pay the bills because we are in a capitalist hellscape so um you know, you have to realize that it's probably going to take a long time and you need to be willing to um, to do this on the side while you still 
make money, have some type of backup plan. Like in my case, I had a very supportive spouse, but still like my first, when I started writing, I was able to do it because I got a job that was only 20 hours a week that still paid quite well. It was an executive director role for a, for a not-for-profit and uh, and it, it paid quite well, and that was my opportunity to spend another 20, 30 hours a week working on my writing career. And after two and a half years of that, it had taken off enough that I was making a decent enough living doing the fitness self-help writing stuff. And, um, and then when that didn't work out, um, and I switched to history, you know, my wife just said, you know what, we'll, we'll be okay. Like, just just keep going. And I, I think this is going to work out for you. So having some type of financial backup is really important. The other thing is, you know, in, in my case was being willing to be flexible in terms of your passion. The the example that I gave to the, this group of writers was, you know, your passion may be sentient sword wielding samurai cats writing about that. And, and, you know, that sounds like a cool book. I would totally read that, but it may not make a lot of money. So I told them, you know, don't necessarily fall in love with a genre, fall in love with writing itself. So it may not be writing, it may be something in general, but but you kind of have to chase the money somewhat. Like I'd wanted to be a, a fantasy novelist or a science fiction writer. And then I realized that you can't make a living doing that, like unless you're, you know, get super, super lucky. That's why I became a fitness writer was because I realized there were a lot of multiple income streams that I could generate from that, and it allowed me to write. and And it was something I knew a lot about. And I thought, okay, well, I can merge my passions here. and And so, you need to be flexible in terms of your passions. That that there are ways to be in the field that you feel creatively, or whatever it is that you need to be in, but also being realistic about okay. It may not be 100% exactly what you want to do, but it's, it's in the area. And then you can, you can chase the money and, uh, and be happy at the same time and then maybe mold it as you go along. And it can finance your sentient sword-wielding samurai cat story if you want. <laughs> Absolutely. And then Great the advice. third one, oh, sorry, um, the, yeah, the, the rule number three, the last one, was absolutely be shameless in your promotion. Uh, that's something that that writers specifically are pretty terrible at. But you know, use that creativity that is compelling you to create this art and work. Put it into your marketing as well. That the reason why that I sold a lot of books wasn't because I just told people to buy my book over and over again. I creatively told them to buy my book. Yes. I, I told, I spinned a yarn. I told a cool story that, that pulled them in. And, and then, then I said, buy my book. And then yeah, I was, I was going to say, as a fan, you lured me in many, I was like, this is a great stuff. And buy my book, of course, buy my book. Cause that would be like, God, it's perfect. <laughs> so awesome. Well, James, it's always super fun talking to you. I love reading everything you write. It's brilliant. Uh, it's a, it's a privilege to, to get to spend this time with you. I really appreciate it. And, uh, oh, thanks so much, Jeremy. I, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Well, we'll do it again sometime. Thanks so much, James. Count me in. Awesome. All right. My thanks again to James Fell for being back on the show with us. Again, his book is called On This Day in History, Shit Went Down. You can get it through the link in the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com. It's fascinating to me to hear him talk about the mental health struggles and the anxiety and the ADHD and all the things that seemingly even got worse, even as success was starting to take hold. 
that led to overwork, neglecting self-care, and all these things that we hear happening to, especially entrepreneurs, a lot when they get too focused on work and neglect themselves for too long. But, and I think this is maybe the takeaway for you here, is he got curious about what was missing from his life and what he could do differently to have a better shot at success. Giving yourself that space, getting curious about the things you're doing, the things that aren't working, and being really honest about whether or not it's the right thing for you can really help open the door to finding a better path that may lead to an even more successful or even just a slightly less shitty experience. So I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I always love talking with him. I always love reading his work. I find him very funny. I hope you did too. You can find out more about him in the show notes for this episode at our website. That's thefitmess.com. And that's where we'll be back next week with a new episode. Thanks so much for listening. We know this podcast is amazing and doesn't seem to lack anything, but we need a legal disclaimer. Prior to implementing anything discussed in this podcast, it is your responsibility to conduct your own research and consult your physician. You should assume that Jeremy and Zach don't know what they're talking about, and they're not liable for any physical or emotional issues that occur directly or indirectly from listening to this podcast.